I would like for you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to uh, look at the prophecy or what is called the burden of Habakkuk in this uh, short book. I trust that uh, after being challenged by Brother Gaddis that you uh, read the book of Habakkuk this afternoon. You can read it in eight or nine or ten minutes. I certainly hope you did that and kind of familiarize yourself with the prophecy because we're going to cover the whole book. And I know many of you are gasping for air right now and saying, oh, no, he's going to preach the whole book. And already I don't have a reputation for short sermons. I understand that. But I, I hope that you familiarized yourself with it. We're going to give a consideration and thought to what I believe, and I'm trying to convince you of the same thing, is a very, very appropriate portion of Scripture anytime, but maybe especially for this time in our own nation, in our own land, in your life, and in my life. We're going to read, uh, beginning in verse number 1, and read into chapter 2 and verse 1. So let's begin our reading in verse number 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So Habakkuk begins a discussion with the Lord, and expresses his concern, and what is something very grievous to him, in verses 1 through 4. Now God speaks in verse number 5 through 11. Behold, God says, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall uh, come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come uh, all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes, shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Now, Habakkuk responds to what God has just said, verse 12, through verse 1 of chapter 2. Art thou not from everlasting O Lord, my God, mine Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest Thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest Thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? 
and make us men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare uh, continually to slay the nations? I will stand upon my watch and will set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am approved. Now we're going to go beyond that in just a little bit, but we're going to stop right there at the end of verse number one in chapter two and consider this discussion that Habakkuk and God had that we know as the prophecy or the burden of Habakkuk. I remember back in the 1970s and the 1980s as a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners, I remember those uh, years regarding their football team. And in that time, uh, through those two decades, uh, no other team spent more time in the number one ranking than the University of Oklahoma Sooners. Also, they won three national championships during that time and were on the very cusp of about four or five more uh, championships. And I can remember during those days, some of you will remember it as well, that there was a very, very popular bumper sticker that you would see on a lot of the automobiles in that time. And on that bumper sticker, it said, it's hard to be humble when you're a Sooner. It's hard to be humble when you're a Sooner. Then came the 90s, and it was no longer hard to be humble. In fact, the 90s, a decade of great humbling for such a rich in tradition program as the Oklahoma Sooners. It's hard to be humble, but conditions came where it wasn't hard to be humble. I think this relates somewhat to where we are as a nation. I look at our nation right now and what we are experiencing and what we are going through in this pandemic in this concern over an economic collapse, I kind of look at it, if I can uh, use a little analogy here, I look at it like the prize fighter, Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali. And what many people would remember about him was not just the fact that he had great ability as a boxer, but what many people would remember about uh, Muhammad Ali was his arrogance, his pride. And he boasted of himself continually, and he was a proud individual. And yes, he boxed well. Yes, he was a great fighter. There's no doubt about that. But the pride is something that he seemed to relish in, thrived on it, boasting and bragging on himself. But today, if you look at our country, I think maybe we've experienced some of that attitude. Over the past 10 years, and even before that, but over the past 10 years, my wife and I have driven all across the country, United States of America, besides flying, we've done a lot of driving, and we've probably driven in every major city in the United States, except maybe two or three over these past 10 years. And everywhere we've gone the past 10 years, there is evidence of prosperity, there's evidence of affluence, 
the uh, retail industry just exploded. The restaurants, the hotels that are being built, nice and plush neighborhoods and expansion of cities and suburbs and such of that. Automobiles, the kind of luxury vehicles that we're able to drive. Everywhere you look, there is evidence of prosperity. And as a matter of fact, uh, over the past months, we've heard a lot of talk about this. We've heard a lot of talk about uh, the fact that our unemployment rate is at uh, almost record lows of all time, certainly in recent history, uh, record lows. The economy is steaming, it's rolling, and so many things about which we should be proud and that make us the greatest nation on the earth. And you can hear that. You can hear that from politicians. You can hear that from others. And, and a continual praising of self over the kind of nation that we have and the prosperity and the affluence that this nation knows. And if I can go back to Cassius Clay and Muhammad Ali and talk about a prize fighter again, I would think right now that our nation doesn't look quite like Ali did in his prime. Right now, our nation looks more like a prize fighter that's on one knee, and he's down, wondering if he's going to be able to get up by the count of 10. That's sort of what's taking place in our country right now. And there might be somebody that says, well, I can see where this sermon's going. Yeah, that's easy to tell and easy to see. Okay, I, I, I want you to stay with me. And I'd ask you just to kind of put on the brakes for just a little bit. And before we dive into our text in the book of Habakkuk, uh, I think it'd be good if I talk to you for just a little bit about something that is very evident to those that are students of the Bible and the Old Testament. And that is that with God, from the viewpoint or the lens of the Word of God, with God, He looks upon humanity in this way, or upon the nations of humanity this way. He looks upon them in terms like this. The nation of the Jews and the Gentile nations. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you read how it develops and how humanity develops, you'll see that God looks and he sees this. This is the nation of my people, Israel, and this is the nations of the Gentiles. These are the nations of the Gentiles. And all you'd have to do is go and read in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 and again in 15 and again in chapter 17. And you'll see how that God made the covenant with Israel. And he made this everlasting, unconditional covenant that to be fulfilled is dependent upon him. That's the kind of relationship that he had. He calls it my people, my chosen people, my nation. And, and so this is the nation of Israel, the nation of the Jews. But God is also mindful of the nations of the Gentiles. Now, I, I will say this about the Gentiles. The Gentiles simply means non-Jewish. That's basically what the word has to do with any nation that is not Jewish. And God does not see nor deal with the Gentiles as he does the Jews. Or let's put it another way. The Gentile nations are not to God what Israel is to God. I think that's a, 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 hopefully a clear way to say it. That the Gentile nations are not to God what Israel is to God. But it would be a terrible mistake to think 
therefore, that the Gentile nations don't matter to God. As a matter of fact, they matter a great deal to God. A great deal. And as you go through the Word of God, you'll see that God deals with the Gentile nations. In fact, uh, in relation to the nation of Israel, there are times that God has used the Gentile nations to prove the nation of Israel. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it is evident that God uses the Gentile nations to prove His own people and to reprove His own people. In other words, God has used Gentile nations in order to humble His own people or to deal with them when they have gone astray from Him and when they have been in rebellion against Him. God's used the Gentile nations. In my Bible reading, I just noticed the last time a few weeks ago that I went through the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 35, uh, 25 rather, and through chapter 35. Now I want you to follow me on this for just a moment. <clears throat> God addresses Gentile nations. And uh, Ezekiel was a prophet just prior to, uh, or maybe overlapping just a little bit, our prophet Habakkuk. So we're talking about the same time frame here uh, when we go into the book of Habakkuk and how that God is addressing uh, through the prophet Ezekiel how he is going to deal with Gentile nations. And he mentions the nations like the Moabites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir, which is uh, also the Edomites. And God is going to deal with Philistia or the Philistines. God said he's also going to deal with Egypt and he's going to deal with Assyria and he's going to deal with Tyrus and he's going to deal with Babylon. And when God talks about these nations in every case through 25 through 35, it's how he is going to deal with them in judgment and why. You see, because just because they don't mean to God or they are not to God, what Israel is to God doesn't mean God's not concerned with them. He's the one to set the boundaries of the nations. They exist because of Him. They are living on God's time. They are breathing on God's air. And no Gentile nation, no nation anywhere at any time can exclude God from the picture. He won't go away. These nations had two things in common that God was judging them about. Two things. Pride. Every one of these nations were guilty of haughtiness and pride. You studied out, and these nations in the Old Testament, you'll see, they were guilty of haughtiness and pride, self-sufficiency, no need of the Creator God. As a matter of fact, they went about the business of creating gods, little g, after their own imagination. They all had that in common. And the other thing they had in common was their hatred for the Jews, their hatred of the nation of Israel. And you can see this very, very clearly in Ezekiel chapter 25 and through 35 that these are nations that despised and loathed and disdained, yea, hated the nation of the Jews. And so God said that he was going to deal with them, that he was going to deal with them in judgment. Now, in this discussion that God has with Habakkuk, I, I, I want to show you that God is going to deal with Israel because of their own wickedness and their own sin, because Israel's sin through the times of the kings and the prophets, and even before in the times of the judges, their sin has been that rather than being separated wholly unto God, 
they took on the ways of the pagans about them and the heathen Gentile nations about them that God said he's going to judge. But they thought they would be exempt from the judgment of God because of who they were. You can see Paul dealing with this in the book of Romans in chapter number two, how that in his mind as a Jew himself, now a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, he understood his own people and he understood that they've considered themselves exempt from the normal dealings of God in judgment and wrath uh, because of who they were. And what God is showing is it doesn't matter if you're Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're Jew. And through the book of Habakkuk, he is going to show that he is going to deal with his own people. Here's what's going on in the passage we just read and in the book of Habakkuk. Here's what's taking place. Habakkuk is a prophet of God set apart by God to do the work of God and to speak for God. There's no doubt about it. Now, Habakkuk looks at his nation and he looks at his society and here's what he sees. He sees a nation that is horribly out of step with God. We'll just take verse 1 through 4 and put it in a nutshell. And in this discussion between Habakkuk and God, it is like Habakkuk is saying, God, I can't believe what is taking place before me. There's wickedness, there's sin, there's violence. There's disruption in our society, in our nation. And what was really troubling Isaiah, is, or Habakkuk rather, is with all the sin and all the wickedness that was taking place, in his mind, God was looking the other way and not even dealing with it. And that's why he says at the end of verse number four, wrong judgment proceedeth. This just goes on and on. Because God, as far as I can see, you're not doing anything about it. And Habakkuk pours this burden out to God. Concerned about why God isn't intervening and doing something. So in verse number five, well, God begins to answer Habakkuk. Now look at this. He answers Habakkuk and says in verse five, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. In other words, God is saying, Habakkuk, I know what you're saying, and I hear what you're saying, but don't you make any mistake about it. I'm not looking the other way, and I am going to deal. In a nutshell, God is saying to Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with the people that you're concerned about and the sins of the nations of my own people, Habakkuk. I'm going to deal with them in such a way that you won't even believe it. I'll reveal to you what I'm going to do and you won't even believe it. Now let's stop here for just a second. Because uh, this is a prophecy for concerning Israel in the time of Habakkuk. And this is uh, a few years before they would go into the Babylonian captivity and, and uh, disintegrate as a nation there in Israel or in the land of Palestine. And, and so in this particular situation and this particular thing, God is dealing with Habakkuk and he's dealing with the Gentile nations. I, I want to stop and just say, while this is not a prophecy to the United States of America, that would be a wild stretch to say this is a prophecy concerning this country. Well, just because this isn't uh, a prophecy to our country, and just because we are not a covenant race of people like Israel was, doesn't mean there's nothing here for us. Oh, there is. In fact, things that we can relate to. As a matter of fact, when you look at the history of the United States of America, let's say in the past 150 to 200 years, uh, you, you can see that we have gone down this terrible slope and this terrible slide 
I would say if you went back to about the middle of the 19th century when uh, the influence of Europe began to get a foothold here in the United States of America, it began to have an effect upon our educational system, public education as we know it now. It began to have an effect upon, upon uh, culture and society and the morals of our country. It began to have effect upon theology and religion in the United States of America. No, I'm just saying the shape that our country is in right now, socially and morally and spiritually, did not happen overnight. It has been a process. And it started as a result, uh, if you go back to the influence of Darwinism and evolution, let's leave God out of the fact that we exist and that the universe and all that we see that you and I would call creation, uh, let's exclude God out of this. That kind of influence came into our country and infiltrates every level of public education in our society. And the subsequent lifestyle that goes with excluding God from thought. We are in danger of losing the republic that was intended by our founding fathers and that has been such a blessing to all of us and, and has brought us the, uh, a history of some of the greatest favor and blessing from God of any history in the world, uh, in, in the history of the world. Uh, and, and it's just amazing, but let's look and see what has transpired. And, and there has been for years now, I mean, I started out in the ministry in the year of 1967. And so that's 53 years ago. And even before that, I can remember preachers coming to our church and they would preach out against, uh, against evolution and they would preach out against uh, Sigmund Freud and modern psychology. And they would preach out uh, about the theology. I, I, I'm so thankful I got to come up under preachers and in a time when they would thunder forth from the word of God. And they were men that never thought for one second about political correctness. They just thought about being faithful to God and calling sinners to God and calling a sinful nation back to God. God in heaven knows we need that kind of preaching today where there is not the sensitivity to what is politically correct, but what does God say and what does God's word tell us? And our country has gone a long, long ways from God. I'll never forget, I believe it was in the 1970s, there was a man that became famous by the name of Bishop Pike. He was back from the northeast part of our country. And Bishop Pike came out with this incredible conclusion that there would be, in situation ethics, there would be seven instances, at least seven, there might have been more, seven instances where adultery would be justified, where it would not be a sin. Well, uh, but sir, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, period. Oh, no, no. With situation ethics, see, what, what has happened is the changing, the understanding, the enlightenment, the understanding that we have uh, in this day and time. No, there are instances where adultery would be totally justified. And that ought to grade every one of us, that kind of thinking. And the inability of a nation that turns away from God, the inability to think, the inability to reason. I don't know about fellow Oklahomans and those of you that are uh, part of the Southwest Baptist Church, but I've been so disturbed lately right here in our own state. Look, look what's taking place. And all of this is going on in Habakkuk today and more. But look what's taking place. I mean, it's amazing to me that we have leaders in our country that really believe that at sporting events, 
the experience would be enhanced if we made it more possible for people to have beer and to drink intoxicating beverage, that would enhance the fan experience. Now, nobody in their right mind would ever come to that conclusion. Not if you're thinking right. No way. It's amazing how that we decided somehow in Oklahoma, uh, fairly recently, that it would be best to make liquor more available. So let's allow them, we're behind other states around the country, let's allow them to sell liquor in the grocery stores. Yeah, just, just what our society needs is more access to the intoxicating, damnable beverage. Think about that. What is taking place? It's disgusting to drive up and down the interstates of the state of Oklahoma, other states as well, and see the casinos. You want to talk about an epidemic? We have epidemics in our own state. We have epidemics in our own society. Epidemics of prescription drug addiction. All manner of illegal drug addiction. Make a decision as a state it would be best to provide marijuana legally. Dear Lord, what's happening? What is taking place? And there are people that actually believe that if you speak up about gender issues, that you are therefore divisive, that you are dangerous, that you're dangerous to the culture, you're dangerous to the society. I can remember preachers standing up and preaching about immorality. I can remember the time when Billy Graham stood up in a massive crusade and made the famous statement when he said that if God does not judge America over the sodomy that's taking place in our country, if God does not judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And somebody say that on a large platform today, and it would be a terrible repercussion that would come upon them. See what's happened to our culture? Oh, see, Habakkuk looked at his society going down the drain. We haven't even mentioned abortion. The slaughter of babies, the slaughter of innocent human life. Haven't even mentioned that. Haven't even mentioned the effects upon church life that where many churches are competing with Vegas for the entertainment dollar and calling it worship, oh, we got issues, friends. We have all kinds of issues. And Habakkuk saw it. And maybe some of us have felt just a little bit like Habakkuk. God, we're crying out against this. We're, we're trying to identify what's wrong. But nobody seems to be listening and Lord, it actually seems like that those that are perpetrating such wickedness have the upper hand. It seems like you're not doing much about it. Well, God intervenes and he tells Habakkuk, oh, I'll do something about it, all right. I'll do something about it. But you need to know this, Habakkuk, that when I tell you what I'm going to do, you won't even believe it. And then God begins to unfold. I'm going to judge my people. I've not turned a deaf ear. I know what you're looking at, and I know what you're saying, and I know the burden you have, Habakkuk, and I'm going to deal with it, and here's how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians 
Yes, this mighty Chaldean army is going to come. And they're going to come on horses that are swift. They are swift as leopards. And they're going to they're come upon the land like an eagle comes upon the prey, that mighty eagle that comes with power and fierceness and seizes upon the prey. That's how Babylon is going to come upon this land. And then he says, they are as fierce as wolves. They are ruthless. They are heartless. They are mean. They are coming. And I'm telling you, Habakkuk, that I am at work and that I'm not looking the other way. And I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and they're going to come and execute and exercise judgment upon this land. And Habakkuk says, I don't believe it. (laughs) Well, God told him he wouldn't. And Habakkuk begins to answer in verse number 12. And he said, Lord... Wait a minute. How can this be? Lord, uh, the Chaldeans, the Gentiles, that's a, that's a low-life Gentile nation. We're bad. Our nation is bad. Yes, but they're worse than we are. You would use a Gentile nation more wicked than us to deal with us? God said, I tell you, I will intervene. And the way I intervene and judge doesn't have to meet the approval of you, Habakkuk, or your nation or your nation's leaders or anybody else. I am going to use the Chaldeans to bring you or your nation down. That's what God said. Well, that's amazing. Habakkuk is astounded. He really is having trouble believing this. He reminds God of just how wicked the Chaldeans are. He reminds them, uh, God, of the fact that it was them that introduced idolatry. It was them that it's at the heart of all wickedness and sin and such as that. And God's going to intervene. If I may, I'll just pause right here and say, I would never stand behind this pulpit or any pulpit and say that what is taking place in the United States of America, the coronavirus and the effects of it and the near collapse, if not a collapse, of our whole economy, I would not say, this is the judgment of God. I don't have, anything, I don't have any authority to say that. I'm not, I'm not able to stand up here and say, This is God's judgment on the United States of America. I'm not able to say that. With authority, I'm not. I may have an opinion. In fact, I do have an opinion. But it would be wrong for me or any preacher to stand up and say, what is happening in the United States of America is, I tell you, it is the judgment of God. I'm not able to say that. Now, Habakkuk could say that because that's how God said he's going to judge. And other prophets could say that because that's what God said he would do. You've got to understand that when God does judge, there's a lot of discomfort everywhere. It's not just upon the people that he is judging that are wicked and that are evil, but the righteous people within those, that nation, they also suffer and they also experience it. Can you imagine going back to the day? I don't have time to dwell on it, but can you imagine going back to the day when Elijah the prophet, I mean, he was the voice of God for Israel in that day. And Elijah the prophet prayed that it might not rain for the space of three years. And it didn't. 
for the space of three years, it didn't rain. Think about that. Elijah knew the discomfort that would bring. He knew the hardship that it would work. He knew the peril that it would put his nation in. He didn't wish that upon the people, but he just believed that their righteousness was more important than their comfort. That if they had to go through some difficulty and hardship, and then let them go through difficulty and hardship, because if it would bring them back to humility before God, it would be worth it all. And Elijah was able to say that this drought that has come, and this famine that has followed as a result of this drought, this drought and this famine is the hand of God's judgment. He could say that with authority because that's what God told him. I can't say that with authority. That God is judging through this corona, coronavirus, or that God is judging by economic peril. But I can say this. I, I can say with complete conviction that pestilence and economic collapse and terror and weather-related disasters that we've experienced, everything from wildfires to hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and floods, all of this, I can say that none of these are evidence of God's favor on a nation. This isn't the way God has shown his approval upon a people or upon a society. But if you follow the pages of the Bible, you'll see it is a way that God has dealt in judgment with a society and with a people. Nobody would look at this coronavirus and the fallout as a result of it and say, this is evidently the pleasure of God being manifest for the way our country is carrying out life. See, I'm not going to stand here and say I have authority from God to say this is from the judging hand of God. I'm not saying that, but I can tell you what it looks like when God blesses a nation. And it's not this. And we would be way amiss not to stop and consider. Because while I can't say this is the judgment of God. I can say with authority this. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I can say that. That's established, my friend. Whether it's the nation of Israel or whether it's the nation of the Gentiles. Whether it's back in the time of Habakkuk or whether it's the 21st century. It doesn't matter. Righteousness exalteth a nation, an abiding principle. Any nation, anywhere, anytime. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. We can't say that with authority. Consider your ways, saith the Lord. We can't say that with authority. So Habakkuk has turned aside in chapter 2 and verse 1. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting, isn't it, how he says, I'll stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I, I, I don't have any more to say. I'm just going to see what God's uh, going to do and what he'll say unto me. 
And look at the end of verse 2. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk's already pretty much aware that his thinking has been faulty and he's about to get corrected. So he said, I'm going to see what God says. Would you look at what God says to Habakkuk, verse 2 of chapter 2? And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Read, go follow carefully. Uh, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, wait for it, because it shall or will surely come. It will not tarry. So God is saying, uh, look at the big picture. God is saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I I am at work here. And what I am going to do is big and it's important and it covers a lot of time. It's not something that's going to take place quickly. Oh yeah, the Babylonians are going to come, but it goes way beyond that. And so this is so significant, I want you to put it in tablets. I want this to be written down. I want this to be understood for the ages. And I want you to understand, Habakkuk, that this is not going to take place in a hurry. You're going to have to learn patience, and you're going to have to wait, and you're going to have to wait upon me and upon my program for this vision, though it seems like to you it's tearing way too long. Look at me just a second, friends. He's not just talking about the nation of the Chaldees coming upon them. He is looking at a much bigger picture that has to do with the consummation of the age, that has to do with him fulfilling his full purposes upon Israel, and he is saying, uh, Habakkuk, I'm thinking way beyond what you're thinking. I am at work. And while you think that I am tearing too long, you wait and you be patient. And would you look what he says in verse 4? Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Would you listen to this carefully? And I'll show you what this means. Would you listen this very carefully? That when the Chaldeans came and Israel uh, was taken into captivity and when they were scattered to Egypt and other places, do you know what most of those people learned from the invasion of Babylon and the ruin of their city? Nothing. They learn nothing. If you don't believe that, read the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Most of them learn nothing. The nation as a whole learn nothing. Incredible. Why? Because of their pride. Their heart was lifted up. We know what we want. We get what we want. We know what we want to do. We do things what we want to do. We're in a covenant relationship with God. He's just not going to tell us what to do. And he said, behold, his soul, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. Can I, can I stop here just a second? This is pretty much the way with the prideful Israel or Gentile. doesn't matter. This is April the 19th. How could we not think about 25 years ago in the bombing of the federal building? 168 innocent lives taken by the rage of a wicked man. Think about that. 
I remember the Sunday following. That was, uh, happened on a Wednesday morning. And the Sunday following, I had come back from a trip to New York and Iowa and got back in town late Saturday night to preach here on Sunday. And I would think it would be safe to say that we had 100 visitors that day on that Sunday. Unexplainable. Why were they there? Because they were rattled and shaken. Rattled and shaken by the bombing. But it wasn't just a local shaking. It shook this whole country. That if this is an act of terror, and this is what we are headed for in the United States of America, that this attack came in a place like Oklahoma City? In the heartland of America? Are you serious? You know, you know what many people, our society as a whole, learn from that? Nothing. As a matter of fact, some had further pride. Pride in Oklahoma. Pride in Oklahomans. Pride in the way that we're resilient. Pride in the way that we rise up again. Look at our city now. It's so different than it was then. Look at the prosperity of our city. Oh, I've enjoyed it myself. I, I seriously have enjoyed it myself. The growth and the prosperity and the saving of the downtown. I like it all. But shouldn't God be considered in this? You know what some learned from it? In terms of their fear before God? Nothing. Why? Because they're lifted up with pride. You can see that whether it's 9-11 or no matter what it is. Recently, I was just told that a governor of one of our states said it wasn't God that helped us get through this or will help us get through this. It's not God and it's not fate and it's not this and it's not that. It's us, basically, is what it boils down to. We expect that from the unjust. We would expect that from the unbelieving we expect that from the godless. But would you look at verse 4 again? It said, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Now, my purpose is going to be fulfilled. Uh, Habakkuk, you understand that. But the soul of the upright is lifted. Uh, the, the, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, still filled with pride. So you have the response of God's judgment on the part of the wicked. And then the end of verse 4 he says this, but the just, so you have the just and the unjust, and the unjust is lifted up with pride. They have no regard for God. They can't see God in the picture. There's no humility before God. But the just Habakkuk, that's where Habakkuk is, and that's why he's struggling. How can this be? I'm against all of this. I want God's righteousness to be evident throughout our country. What am I supposed to do while God is judging with the Chaldeans? How am I supposed to live while this is going on? And God answers him, and he said, the just shall live by his faith. Take that to 21st century Southwest Baptist Church members, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. What are we supposed to do through all this? Live by faith. You'll probably notice that it wasn't just pagans and heathens 
infidels and atheists that have lost jobs. Many Christians have lost jobs. Well, how are we supposed to look at the work of God? Church is not even able to assemble right now. Who knows when things will get back and where we're able to assemble. What are we supposed to do? Live by faith. I remember in the early 90s right here at this place, at this church. I remember word kind of got around for a little bit among some. Now, Brother Sam, he's our pastor and he's our preacher and we love him as our pastor and, and we like the preaching and all of that. But if you have some real issues, you don't want to go talk to him about it. He's just going to tell you, have faith. Well, let's hear what God says to the just about dealing with this. The just shall live by faith. If a preacher stood up or if I said right now with all kinds of vigor and enthusiasm and worked it just right, and if we had a live audience here and I said, the just shall, we are justified by faith, we are saved by faith, we have received the grace of God, and we are saved by faith and not by works. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You get amens, people shout. But it didn't just mean to save us by faith. He means for us to live by faith. Some of us just made some missions, faith promise missions commitments. And now the plug's been pulled. But we made this commitment to God. Was it by faith or not by faith? No, friend, I'm preaching to myself too. Was that a step of faith? Or is that what I saw I could do out of my abundance? Which? Well, I guess we'll find out now. But we're quick to call it faith promise. But are we going to exercise faith when it comes right down to it? What are we going to do about the bus routes? The bus ministry has been a part of this ministry of Southwest Baptist Church since way back in the 1960s. I mean, when I came in the ministry in 1967 over in Dell City, uh, sometimes we overlapped in bus route areas. I mean, the bus ministry has been a part here. Men are on the mission field today that came through the bus ministry. People are serving God today and raising their families that came through the bus ministry. Many boys and girls got saved. What are we going to do about the bus ministry? Exercise faith. Yeah, but what if this and what if that? You can't answer all the what ifs. You can't even name all the what ifs. What we have supposed to have been doing is what we are supposed to do. What the responsibility of our church is still what the responsibility of our church will do. How we are supposed to live to begin with is how we are supposed to live now and when this pandemic is in the past. The just shall live by his faith. And that's exactly what God is saying to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I know you're in difficult times. I know that you're going to suffer along with others to suffer because of what's going to happen. I know that my hand of judgment is going to make it difficult upon everybody. But I am not primarily concerned about everybody's personal comfort. But I am interested that my people live by their faith. That's not changed. And God goes on to talk about the long, big picture in chapter 2. I'll relieve some of your concerns right now. I'm not going to preach every verse of chapter 2. But God says, woe, 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 woe is coming to the wicked, to the godless. That's in chapter 2. 
Look at chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, verse 1. The prophet upon Shigenoth, which means sort of a rambling poem. That word Shigenoth is kind of a difficult word to find real meaning on. Near as we can tell, it just kind of has to do with a poem where a man's just expressing himself. So this is a poetic chapter. Chapter 3. And it's a prayer of Habakkuk. He goes through and talks about God and his working and God's righteousness and so forth. Look down at verse 17. Study the rest of chapter 3 on your own. Speaking of the just shall live by faith, here's how it should look. Verse 17. Habakkuk came to this incredible conclusion. (laughs) And he says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, that's too much farm and agriculture for some of you. But they were in a very agrarian society. And they understood, or Habakkuk understood, that with the hand of God's judgment and the Chaldeans coming, you can forget about another big fig crop for quite a while. You can forget about the grape uh, vines being full of grapes. You can forget about the olive yards falling and olives falling in abundance. You can forget about the lush pastures and the, and the produce that came as a result of the flocks and the herds uh, that were in the stall. And, and here's the conclusion that he came to, Lord. It looks like this is all going to fail. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. Come on, right there we ought to be saying that away, Habakkuk. Now you're talking, man. It doesn't matter whether we understand all the ways of God. It doesn't matter even if we appreciate all the ways that God deals with the wicked and the ungodly. It doesn't matter how out of balance we can get things once in a while. When it comes right down to it, God is God. And and Habakkuk came to this great conclusion that if everything that we've always depended upon comes to nothing and fails... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Watch this. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What if the dollar fails? What if the economy fails? Well, I'm still saved. Are you saved? If you and I are lying on a bed with coronavirus next week, we're still saved. If nothing is ever the same again, you're still saved. If the fast track you were on in your career is now derailed, you're still saved. And that's what Habakkuk was rejoicing in. The God of my salvation. And look in verse 19. Look at it. The Lord God is my Strength. This is a good time for self-examination, isn't it? Can I say with complete conviction, whatever else happens outside these walls, whatever happens in our culture, whatever world crisis comes, another pandemic or whatever it might be, I am not depending on the strength of government. May God deliver us from that. I am not depending on the strength 
of government. I am not depending on the strength of armies. I am not depending on the strength of my possessions. I am not depending on the strength of human relationships. The Lord is my strength. That's where we're supposed to live. Pandemic or no pandemic. Acts of terror or perfect peace. The Lord is my peace. Now watch. And he will make, he's taken me somewhere. He will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon the high places. Strangest ending to this thing. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. You know what Habakkuk did? When he saw the need to be, depend completely upon God and leave it completely in the hands of God and live by faith in the righteous God. He said, I feel like making music. In chapter 3 he did. And he said, this is to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Put this to music. I feel like singing. I'm just saying right now, if you and I don't keep our eyes on the Lord, if we are not going to live by genuine faith, there's not much to sing about. But if He is who He claims to be, if He is who we have declared Him to be on the authority of His Word, then we still have reason to sing. The just shall live by his faith. What about that song? Living by faith. Oh, what a great song. Better yet, how about one that I've always loved, one of my very favorites? Trust and obey. Why don't we humble ourselves before God in prayer and then sing together? Trust and obey. There's no other way. Father, I want to thank you for this time. I pray, O oh God, that of all people, your people would be humbled before you by the circumstances that we've seen unfold in recent weeks. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your sufficiency. I want to thank you for your promises. I want to thank you for your big plan. I want to thank you that though some say, oh, things are never going to change. God's not going to intervene. He won't, he, he, we are indifferent to him and he's indifferent to us. Oh God, I want to thank you. That's not so. That in your time, your son Jesus will come again. In your time, there will be judgment upon the unbelieving. I pray that during the time till your son comes again, or in the days that you give us here, whether we're in the midst of a crisis of some sort like today, or whether we're living in good times, as people call them, I pray that our joy would be the same. That we'd rejoice in the God of our salvation. I pray that we would live in such a way that we are depending upon your strength, not our own or the strength of others. And I thank you, dear God, that one day 
your purposes will be fulfilled and will be uh, made, our feet will be made like hind's feet and will walk in the high places. I pray you'd bless your people. I pray our hearts would be humble before you. May we be willing to confess the sins of our nation as though we personally are guilty. I pray, Father, that your will would be done through this time. And bless as we sing, trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.